passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus it's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a happy edition of Rico Bronia, the Mets podcast. Evan Roberts from Carton Roberts on the fan. Pete Hoffman with me as well. Uh, it was another series to feel good about. Another day as a Met fan to mostly smile. There are some concerns Obviously, Jeff McNeil dealing with that hamstring issue during the Monday afternoon game against the Marlins. But you went into this homestand after that wonderful 500 trip and said, okay, you tread water on the West Coast. Now you got a tough Brewer team. You got a a pretty good pitching team with the Miami Marlins. You got seven games at home. Now let's do better than just 500. Give me a five and two homestand, which I think was a very reasonable expectation going into these seven games against Milwaukee and Miami. And they walk away with the beautiful five out of seven. And it got dicey a little bit. You know, I remember we talked after the Milwaukee series about how ugly things felt in game three, especially with Tyler McGill going down with the injury, with the bullpen needing to step up, with the Mets having a rally from behind. And they did a fine job of doing that. What I loved about this series is after losing on Sunday, which was a, should I call it a bad loss? It was a, it was a kick in the balls kind of loss. You know, anytime your bullpen gives a game away, and that's what Seth Lugo did, and you hear the booze raining down at City Field, it's a loss you don't feel great about. You know, you have a chance to beat Sandy Alcantara. Francisco Lindor gets that huge hit. We'll get into these games a little bit later on. We'll break down each game. But to bounce back the way they did in the finale on a Monday afternoon, have David Peterson show guts, get himself in and out of trouble throughout the day, was a really good, and again, 2022-like Met victory as they bounce back after a loss. A lot to get to. We'll talk about J.D. Davis's inability to hit a fastball, the Mets getting hit for the 500th time this season, 
the injury concerns for Jeff McNeil, needing protection for Pete Alonzo, and all that. But let's start off with the opener of this series against Miami, where we learned that Francisco Lindor's mom needs a season ticket. That's the lesson we took at a Friday night's game. It was an emotional story. Francisco Lindor's mom is here. She's seeing her son play baseball in person for the first time as a New York Met. And right from the freaking get-go, we're watching Francisco Lindor belt a three-run home run into the black. We're watching Francisco Lindor look great defensively. That beautiful play against Jazz Chisholm in the third inning. It's like all of a sudden, we saw superstar Francisco Lindor. And it's funny. I was listening to the Midday Show, produced by the very wise Peter Hoffman. And Tierney and Tiki were talking about Lindor. And I thought it was a very interesting conversation. Because they were talking like, are you happy with Francisco Lindor? Is this what you expected from Francisco Lindor? And it's funny, on a day-to-day basis, my views on Lindor change. For example, when the Mets are playing the opener of this series against the Marlins on a Friday night, and Lindor is hitting a three-run bomb in a center field, and he's making all these great defensive plays, I will say to myself, like I did Friday, that's the Francisco Lindor we traded for. That's the Francisco Lindor we expect. And then there are groups of games, streaks of games, where Lindor looks not great defensively, where he makes miscues and balls are going under his glove, and he doesn't show you that much offensively. So I think Lindor, even though he's now been here and this is his second year, believe it or not, this is my opinion, we're still in that getting to no phase of Francisco Lindor. Like I feel a year and a half in a watching Lindor every day, I can't define him that easily. Like there are days in which he looks like a superstar and then there are days in which you say, we're paying this guy $300 million? Is that a fair takeoff? Do you feel that way about Francisco? I do, but here's the thing is that we have such a long way to go with him. Like, he's not going away anytime soon, so I feel like the leash has got to be longer on him. I feel like we can't just uh, evaluate this in like a, a, a week-to-week evaluation. It's got to be like three or four years before we're like, all right, this is what we're going to get. Yeah. Oh, no, I think that's fair. I think it's just like his season this year. You can't deny the amount of RBIs he has. And we'll touch on Buck's comment that he made and the context of Buck's comment, because I thought that was very important in his discussion about Lindor's RBIs and comparing it to Judge. But Lindor has had, and you really can't tell unless you watch a guy every day, he's had a really streaky season. And a lot of guys are streaky. I mean, it happens. Like watching Giancarlo every day on the other side, you notice how streaky Stanton is. But Lindor's had a very, very streaky season where there are days and you say, that's an elite-level shortstop. That's why we traded for him. And then there are weeks sometimes where he goes through these massive slums and he's not that great defensively at times because that's another phase of a game that you really can't kind of judge till you watch a guy every day. So he's been very streaky in his time here. And I, I throw away year one. Year one was a disaster. And I think it's okay to throw away year one. I threw year one away by Carlos Beltran. They get a bad first year. And I think when we judge Beltran's legacy, we can look past the fact that in year one, he was a disaster. But on Friday night, Lindor sets the tone with that three-run home run. And I mentioned this on the last edition of the Rico. We get good cookie, mostly good cookie, and then we get really, really bad cookie. We got ourselves good cookie. Not great cookie, not dominant cookie. We got good cookie on Friday night. And here's what good cookie does that I love. He'll put guys on base. 
Like, he's not going to mow you down. He'll put two guys on base in the first inning, but you know what? He'll get a big out. He'll get John Birdie to ground out. He'll put a couple of guys on base in the fourth inning, but no problem. He'll get Williams, Ostadio, and Jacob Stallings out. And that was the story of Carlos Carrasco. And that's really been the story of his season. He's had a very, very good year. I mentioned this the last time. I think his numbers don't even give him justice. He's now got a record of 8-2, and two, and while I think win-loss records can be really overrated, more times than not, Carlos gives you a really good performance. And that's exactly what he did on Friday night. But here's what I really love in Friday night's victory. Luis Guillerme hits a fly ball to very, very deep left center field. And Brian De La Cruz clearly doesn't make the play. If you remember this play, he leaps up. It bounces off what appeared to be his glove. He falls on the ground, and then he catches it. And so Alan Porter, the third base umpire, because he's clueless, says, oh, my God, he caught it. What a catch. Now, when you look at the replay, you clearly see it bounced off of the fence, and he happened to catch it off of the fence. But because Alan Porter made the signal that it was caught, everybody had to hold up. Mets challenge it. It's clearly overruled. And then Alan Porter decides to put Guillerme on first, to put Canna on second, and put McNeil on third. And it sucks, and it was unfortunate that a run didn't get the score, but he absolutely got the call right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he got the call wrong to begin with, which led to the fact that you can't assume Jeff McNeil's going to score. So it was one of those scenarios that was really, really unfortunate because the Mets deserved a better fate. They deserved to tack on to their 3-1 to lead. But instead, because you can't assume McNeil's going to score because the umpire made a signal that the guy was out, the Mets have the bases loaded and nobody out. And as this is happening, and I'm realizing, all right, the Mets got a bad break. They didn't get screwed. They got a bad break. This was the game. Because you got bases loaded, nobody out, 3-1 to game. Just mow them down. Drive a couple of runs in, 5-1 game, this game's a blowout. If you don't score here, and we've seen many times in the past where you don't score there after there's a bad break that goes your way, well, now all of a sudden it's a 3-1 game in the seventh inning, and you could completely see this bullpen blowing it up. And us looking back at that sixth inning as a missed opportunity. But what I loved was J.D. Davis poked that RBI single, and even after... The next two Mets were recorded out. Tomas Nito struck out what else is new. And Brandon Nimmo couldn't drive the run in. The Mets draw bases loaded walk. That was Starling Marte. Lindor gets hit with the bases loaded, but that's a good hit batsman because it's a one-two pitch. And then Pete puts the game away with the grand slam. Good night. See you later. Mets have themselves an easy victory. And it was mostly based on taking advantage of that sixth inning. What could have been a bad sixth inning of, uh uh-oh, the Mets didn't get the break to go their way. They take advantage of it. Alonzo hits the grand slam. He tacks on some more RBIs. He's had a monster season. And it turns into a nice, easy, deep breath kind of victory. I thought that was great. Now, the negative is the Mets got hit four times. What else is new? Lindor being hit ahead of the count or behind in the count in the sixth inning, that's, like I mentioned, that's a good hit batsman. What was a little odd is that Pablo Lopez, who starts for the Marlins, had hit nobody throughout the season and he hits two guys in the game and that's where for all the talk about well the Mets get hit a lot of it's a coincidence and I do think a lot of it is a lot of it's just pitching inside and a lot of it is it doesn't look good when you got a guy on the mound who hasn't hit a guy all season long and all of a sudden he's hitting two Mets and the Mets get hit four times on Friday 
And that would continue to be a storyline. The Mets get hit a lot. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. And, you know, I'm sick and tired of having these discussions because there's no great answer to this. Charging the mound, I guess, is an option. I've said that's a better option than just hitting random guys on the other team. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to hit Avasal Garcia? Going to hit John Birdie because you don't like his face? You could hit John Birdie. Don't you have John Birdie on your fantasy team, Pete? Aren't I facing him this week? Yeah, well, he went one for five today. But, yes, I, he's very fast. So, you don't, you don't want him on base. That's true. If you drill him, he'll just go steal second and third. <laughs> I, look, I don't have a great answer for this other than this is a trend that's continuing. This is not something that went away in April. Didn't go away in May. It's the middle of June. It's late June. The Mets are getting hit every single night. But a good victory, a good way to start things off in the opener of this series. Game two of this series continued with Lindor. Again, I love his mom. His mom should go to every freaking game. I'm willing to donate my season tickets. Lindor hits that two-run home run in the third inning. Taiwan Walker was, was awesome in this game. He was really, really good in this game. And the other thing that you noticed in this game, and it's been a season long, and that's why this injury scares me, is how freaking clutch Jeff McNeil has been this season. And that's the biggest difference from Jeff of last year and Jeff of this year. Jeff McNeil, with two outs and runners in scoring position, is a damn machine. In the second inning of this game on Saturday, where I took both of my boys, both Spence and Jet, my two sons were in the building to see New York Met baseball. They have two on, they got one out, Eduardo Escobar just misses one, gets under one, hits it to right. And Jeff McNeil does something he's been doing all season long. Two outs, runners in scoring position. After the Mets fail with previous opportunities, he says, don't you worry, I got you. And I looked it up because I was curious. I know Jeff McNeil's been clutch this year. So I played a game with myself. I said, Evan, what do you think Jeff McNeil's hitting with runners in scoring position? And what do you think he's hitting with two outs? In runners in scoring position. So my guess with runners in scoring position, I said probably 330. Two outs in runners in scoring position, 340. Very good numbers, right? Runners in scoring position, he's hitting 348. It's a little bit better than I thought. Runners in scoring position with two outs, Jeff McNeil is hitting 411. 411. It feels like there have been so many examples of the Mets getting an RBI opportunity, somebody failing, and then Jeff McNeil saying, don't you worry, I gotcha. It's happened absolutely consistently all season long. 
So the only kind of negative in this game was really the scariness of Edwin Diaz in the ninth inning. And I don't want to kill Edwin. Edwin survived Thursday, and it was weak contact on Thursday. On Friday, or on Saturday, I should say, the second game of this series, he gives up a base hit to John Birdie, strikes out a couple of guys, gives up another base hit, gives up a stolen base. So it's set up where tying runs on second with two outs. But look, Edwin Diaz bailed down. He got the big out. That's all you could ask for. As much as I would love the the nice and easy one, two, three, no stress, we're all feeling good, save. As long as you get the freaking job done, that's all that matters. And to Edwin Diaz's credit, he got the freaking job done on Saturday. And the Mets were able to win another game in this series and makes you feel good going into Sunday and Monday. All right, split the last two games and you got yourself a five and two homestand, which gets us to Sunday. And Sunday was... Sunday was a reminder. That's what I would say Sunday's game was. Sunday's game was a reminder that there is not much you can trust in this bullpen. We are not that far removed from Seth Lugo being one of the more reliable guys in this Met pen. You know, Seth Lugo, who's a free agent at the end of the year, by the way, so just proof that not everybody has great seasons and contract years. We make that assumption, oh, just get him in a contract year. He's going to be fine. Seth Lugo, three seasons ago, in 2019 and 2018, was a top reliever. Even last year. Like, I know his numbers weren't utterly brilliant, but I thought he was a somewhat reliable reliever a year ago. This year, you can't trust him. His strikeouts are down. He gives up home runs. He puts guys on base. He's just not the same reliable guy he once was. And so, look, this isn't all on Seth Lugo because really the way this game transpired was Buck Showalter was put in a spot, some by his own kind of fruition, fruition, tuition, whatever, his own Jewishian. What's the word? His own intuition. Now, you know what? I don't freaking know. It's late. I'm tired. What do you want from me? Tuition is for school. So (laughs) I know that's not right. (laughs) Yeah, it's not that. (laughs) <laughs> and Jewish is a word I just made up. Puishin, I, I think my son uses. Uh, and tuition, you're right, is for schools. Volition. Volition. That's the word, volition. He made a decision from his volition <laughs> that Edwin Diaz, he didn't want to use in this game. And he didn't want to use Drew Smith in this game. So he has a game in which I prefer not to use my closer. And I prefer not to use my most reliable reliever, not name my closer, and Drew Smith, who did a pretty good job the day before. So after Lindor comes through with a really, really clutch hit, remember he came through with the RBI single after the Marte triple. And real quick on that triple, it was odd. Marte doesn't run hard out of the box because he's still dealing with the issues, the physical issues. So Marte is kind of lollygagging is not the right word. He's not running his hardest out of the box. But then when he could taste the triple, you could see he turns the afterburners on. And my favorite part about that triple is when Joey Cora dove in a third base with him. I thought that was adorable. That's like something I would do with my son. Like, all right, you're going to dive in a third? I'm coming with you. So Marte gets the triple. Lindor gets that huge RBI single, which was great. Clutch hit by Lindor. RBI number 52. Everybody's happy. You got a one nothing lead. You're nine outs away from winning you have a chance to beat Sandy Alcantara, who's probably the Cy Young Award winner in the National League so far. And Buck Showalter decides, again, because Drew Smith's not available, 
because he doesn't want to go to Edwin Diaz, let me push it with Chris Bassett. And I love it, by the way. I want to point this out. Anytime you push your starting pitcher, I'm always going to be a little bit partial to you because I'm old school. And Chris Bassett was coming off an inning in which he had pitched an effective inning. He was helped out by some pretty good defense. They had to strike him out, throw him out, double play. But before that, Bassett had retired like eight in a row. So Chris Bassett looked like he was in control. His pitch count, I think, was about 98-99 going into that seventh inning. But you know what? You're facing the Miami Marlins. You're not facing murderers row. Go get through it. He gives up the leadoff hit to Rojas, and I'm thinking, all right, eh, you want to give him one more batter? Okay. Gets Lewin Diaz to pop up. All right. Here's where I guess I would differ with Buck, even though I love the fact he pushed him. He gives up the base hit to Jacob Stallings. Jacob Stallings sucks. Unless he's facing Edwin Diaz in Pittsburgh, he's not much of a hitter. So when Bassett gives up that hit, and now there are two men on base, there's one out, that's the time I pull the trigger. With all that said, Seth Lugo was going to suck, so maybe it wasn't going to matter either way. But the walk to Brian De La Cruz, I thought, was one batter too long. 